This morning, we're going to conclude our series on the book of Romans. I know, and you know, there's been uh, about uh, 43 sermons, I think, in this series. And if you think I've preached a long time on the book of Romans, Dr. Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the pastor of the Westminster Chapel in London from about nine, in the 1950s, he preached about 300 sermons or more on the book of Romans. You would have enjoyed listening to him Sunday after Sunday. I believe he preached these sermons on Friday, on Friday evenings uh, for a number of years uh, from the book of Romans. So while you have listened for about a year to sermons, and they each one are individual, by the way, and all of them but one are on the website. You can go to the website, audio sermons, if you miss one. You just pull up one of the sermons from the book of Romans and listen to it. While you've listened to them for a year, for one Sunday, once each Sunday, I have lived in the book of Romans and eaten from the book of Romans and driven down the road with the book of Romans. My wife will tell you that and have enjoyed every minute of the year uh, that I've spent in it. And it's been a year of, of joy for me as I have watched how God has worked in my life and hopefully in your life. And so this morning we conclude the book by looking at a group of people who make a difference. We're going to talk about the people who make a difference. Who are the people who make a difference in your church? These were the people who were making a difference in the church at Rome. And what Paul does in the 16th chapter is he takes a moment to greet those people and tell us just a little bit about them. So I want to tell you that the people who make a difference are not extraordinary people as such. They are ordinary people who exercise an extraordinary faith in God, and they're faithful. They simply do what God has asked them to do, what God has called them to do, and the results are beyond anything they could have ever imagined, and we'll look at that this morning. This morning, I think you'll catch a glimpse of Paul's own passion for sending this letter in the beginning. I think you'll sense the hand of God behind the scenes in the inspiration of this letter, in the sending of this letter, in the reception of this letter, and in the preservation of this letter. And suffice it to say, I think you'll conclude this morning that without God's own activity, you and I would not have the book of Romans. So this morning as we close our study, we look at these people by opening our Bible to Romans chapter 1, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 16, verse 1, Romans 16, verse 1. Remember last week, we ended our uh, message from the book of Romans by sharing that great verse from Romans chapter 15, verse 7, where Paul said, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And so, in keeping with that same theme, he begins chapter 16 by saying, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need help from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Achaia, my fellow servants in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, 
but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Grant Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus and our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those who are in the family. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord. Tryphena and Tryphosa. The words mean Tryphena and Tryphosa, delicate and dainty. Obviously ladies, but hard workers in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. These were just some of the people who, who were a part of the church in Rome. And to some degree, this reads like a genealogy out of the Old Testament. And when you read over it and when you just look at it and, and when you hear it, you think, well, there's not much in this for us to see. But first, uh, let me show you, I want to show you three things this morning from this passage of Scripture. I think you'll see them very clearly as we look at them. First, I want to show you the reputation of the church in Rome. Now, as you read about this church in Rome, you remember probably that the Catholic Church comes out of Rome. You see very clearly this is not a Catholic Church. There's no hierarchy here. There's no ruling authority. Each believer had his or her place. No one person is more important than the other. In fact, from the very first sentence, we get a sense that in this church they are family. Paul uses family words. He calls Phoebe sister. He calls other people brothers. He even refers to one person as being a mother to him. They were family. The relationships are strong and are characterized over and over as Paul shares them by the word beloved. But all of these relationships have one common bond that brings all these people together, whether they are Jew, and some of them are Jews, and some of them are Gentiles. They speak different languages, come from different backgrounds. They are relationships that are bound together by being in the Lord. These are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They share a common faith and a common commitment. But as you know, this church in Rome had an unusual reputation. Paul marks it out at the very beginning in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 8. He said, in, in, in very first chapter, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith, your faith, not the content of what you believe, but the way you believe it is being proclaimed in all the world. This band of believers that God put together in Rome was in the providence of God touching the world for his glory. This became a launching point in the future for this gospel that Paul had told them was the power of God and the salvation 
to everyone who believed, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Every church has a reputation. Did you know that? Your church has a reputation, and you ought to find that to be very important to you personally. What kind of reputation does our church have? Even churches in the New Testament had reputations. You remember the church in Corinth, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, it had a reputation. You remember the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the seven churches in Asia, they all had a reputation. Jesus knew their reputation. Every church has a reputation. But in Rome, it was their faith, not the doctrine, but their faith in the message itself and in the God of the message. Their faith was strong. It had a reputation. Their faith cast a shadow across the world of that day. Their reputation was based on their history. Every church has a history. Our church has a history. And the history of this church is rich. It is precious. We see some of that history in this building in which we worship. It is a wonderful building. If you think about when it was built, started in the late 1940s, a small group of people here, well, they were larger than we are now, uh, the group of people, but they had a passion to build something to the glory of God, and they do that, and they cast a shadow that, that still exists here in Loosedale today. But we don't want to just stand in the shadow of those who have exercised their faith here in the past we want to cast our own shadow for the glory of God. We want our church to have a continuing reputation. We don't want the reputation of our church to be in it, the best days in its past. We want to still be working for the glory of God. So this church in Rome, what was their history? Well, a little bit of their history might be picked up from one of these verses where Paul mentions one particular guy. He said, greet Eponidas. Who's Eponidas? Well, he happens to be a bit of history in the New Testament, a bit of history in the Christianity. He says he is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Imagine that. As the gospel left the Middle East, left the, left the area of Palestine and, and ventured up into the area of Turkey because that was the area that was called Asia Minor. And that's where the seven churches was. The very first person to ever put their faith in Christ was Eponidas. That had to have been quite a long time ago. Eponidas was probably on up in age, and now Eponidas was living in Rome. Did Eponidas himself carry the gospel to Rome? Is he a charter member of the church in Rome? Paul is talking about their history. This church had a rich history. Uh, so their reputation was based on the life and witnesses and legacy of individual believers it's the same today look your church's reputation is not based on your pastor and who he is or who he will be in the future or who he has been in the past because your pastor is not only not the only flame in the church each one of you is an individual flame and together we come together to make a mighty fire in the Lord. We come together and our reputation is built on who we are as a group, but first on who we are as individuals. And so Paul looks at each one of these people individually. He doesn't share something about each one of them, but he shares a little tidbit. 
first look also again at, at what he says about two other believers, Andronicus and Junia. He calls them his kinsmen, and the word simply means relatives by blood. They were probably Paul's cousins. Family, he had family in Rome. That's why he was so concerned about the people in Rome. He had people in Rome that he loved, and so he wrote this letter to these people that he cared about deeply. But of Andronicus and Junia, he said, let me tell you, they were in Christ before me. Imagine that. Here, they knew Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus. Did they pray for him? Did they pray for his conversion? And Paul also says of Andronicus and Junia, hey, they were well known to the apostles. That means the apostles were also well known to them. You and I read the stories that the apostles wrote in the New Testament. We read the story John wrote about the man born blind and how Jesus healed the man born blind. We, we read the stories in Mark of how Jesus went into the home of Jairus and raised the little daughter from the dead and then how he went to the Sea of Galilee and in the area of Gadara and he cast the demons out of the man who was called Legion. These disciples had told these stories to Andronicus and Junia firsthand. They knew about these things firsthand. And Paul said, those are the kind of people in the church at Rome. Would you please tell them hello for me? They're part of the family of God now. But in that church were also two great church planners. I call them Priscilla and Aquila because that's the way their names appear to me in the book of Acts. But I'm told that Priscilla is a diminutive, is sort of a nickname of Prisca, which is her name, and that Aquila is really to be pronounced Achaia. So we'll just pronounce it that way, Prisca and Achaia. But beyond that, they were Jews when we meet them in the book of Acts, chapter 18. That's what they were, Jews. They were banished from Rome in religious persecution. In the providence of God, they moved to Corinth and they met a guy who was a tent maker. They were tent makers. The tent maker they happened to meet was a guy named Paul. Paul was in church in Corinth planting a church. Prisca and Achaia converted to Christ in Corinth and later they moved to Ephesus and they carried the gospel with them to Ephesus and they had a church in their home. And then they moved to Rome. And you know what they did when they got to Rome? They started a church in their home. And later you find them going back again to Ephesus. This couple, the unique thing about them is wherever they went, from the time they met Christ, they planted a church. They were tent makers, but the tent making business only gave them opportunity to build relationships and spread the gospel. This was a dynamic couple. Paul said, look, they have risked their necks for me. The churches of the Gentiles know this couple because wherever they've been, they've made an impact for Christ. Those were just some of the people there in the church in Rome. But now we have to think about how in the world did they get this letter to start with? Have you ever thought about that? That's something that just really doesn't cross my mind. But we're told that in verses 1 and 2, as we're introduced to this lady, Phoebe, now we move from talking about the 
reputation of the church in Rome to the reception of the letter. How did it get there? And so most scholars believe that the first two verses of chapter 16 provide the answer to that question. So look at verses 1 and 2 again. Paul says, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Syncria, that you may welcome her in, in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. The word patron is the word patroness, and it means a woman who had resources who would use them, care for the affairs of others with her resources. This was a woman of means. This was a woman who had some money. And so she's moving to Rome. And as she's moving to Rome, she's moving her letter, so to speak. You know, when we talk about moving your letter, when you go from one church to another, you should move your letter to that church. In other words, you should get a recommendation. First Baptist Church will send a recommendation to some church that you go to and say, these are members in good standing. They serve the Lord well. They teach Sunday school. They do this. We don't include that anymore. But this is what Paul's doing. As he writes to the church in Rome, he said, look, this is a good church member. This is a good and godly lady. You welcome her. Likely, she's also bringing with her this letter from Paul. This letter that Paul dictated later in the letter, he this guy named Tertius, is, they're all sending greetings. Tertius says, hey, say hey to everybody from me as well. I'm writing this letter. He just pins a little P.S. in the letter. But Phoebe is likely the person who carried this letter, who simply was faithful to do what God had called her to do. Paul said, Phoebe, you're going to Rome. Would you take this letter? Would you make sure that it gets there? Now, it's about a thousand-mile journey from where she lived to go to Rome, a woman alone in those days, carrying a letter. Seven or eight hundred miles of that was by ship. Another hundred or so miles was going to be on foot or by donkey. She preserved that letter. She took care of it. She made sure that it got to where it was going. She made sure that when she got there, she put it in the right hands. And then when they got it and they read it, somebody said, oh my goodness, we need to go out and buy a file a fireproof filing cabinet to put this in. We need to never lose it. This is a part of the rich history of our church. Now, I'm just saying that simply because we voted in our own business meeting here in the church to buy a couple of fireproof filing cabinets because our clerk, Brother Alton, tells us that we have some precious historical documents that belong to this church that need to be preserved, some things we need to remember. And so they took that letter and they said, we, we got to preserve it. But not only do we need to preserve it, we need to share it. We need to make sure some other people get this letter and read it. They realize the significance of what they held in their hand. So there's some things that God may be asking you to do. Something so simple as maybe teaching Bible school. Something so simple as teaching a Sunday school class. Maybe something like greeting someone when they come in the door saying, we're so glad you're here. And when you get to heaven, you're never going to know the impact that you had. Phoebe do you think she ever imagined that she was delivering a book in the Bible? 
Do you think she thought it? No, she had no clue. Paul didn't know that when he was writing it. He didn't know that it would become a book in the Bible. He didn't know anybody would ever use it as a series of sermons. He's just being obedient to write what was on his heart. Phoebe's being obedient to deliver it. She didn't know that 1,500 years later, God would use it to spark the Protestant Reformation, which still impacts the world today. She didn't know that so many tracks would be made called the Roman Road, Plans of Salvation, from this book of Romans about how to be saved. And untold millions one day will be in heaven. God will say, everybody who ever read a tract based on the book of Romans, raise your hand and, and you made a decision for Christ. And millions in heaven will raise their hand and the Lord will say, see Phoebe, see what you did, see what your simple act of faithfulness resulted in. She had no idea, but Phoebe was simply faithful. And she was a person who made a difference. Well, we need to move from Phoebe and how the letter got from Rome. And we have to say also, it got to us by divine appointment. God has preserved that letter down through the centuries and made sure you were impacted by it and that I was impacted by it. But finally, we need to consider the reunion and the revival that Paul was anticipating when he got to Rome. You know, he begins the book by saying, man, I want to go to Rome. I've, I've, I've wanted to come there for years and years. I want to come. I want to be there with you. I want to share the gospel with you. He, basically, he says, what I'm looking forward to is the day I can come and, and, and my, I can refresh you with my faith and you can refresh me with yours. He says that in the very first chapter. Some of these people he had met, some of them he hadn't met, but he mentions one family in particular. And I want to isolate that family as we close this morning. He mentions a guy called Rufus. Rufus, he said, uh, he said, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. What a good man of the Lord he is. And greet his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Think of that. Here was a woman who had cared for some of Paul's needs, maybe made Paul a banana pudding, maybe made him a chicken pie, maybe, maybe made him some hot biscuits. I don't know what she did for Paul. Maybe sewed up some of his clothes. I don't know. Maybe doctored him when he was sick. I don't know. But she'd been like a mother to Paul. And Paul said, I want to send greetings to this dear woman and her son. Did you know that uh, while this is obviously the book of Romans, there is one other book of the Bible that we know that was dedicated to go to Rome. It's one of the four Gospels. Matthew was written to the Jews to, to show that Jesus was king of the Jews. Luke was obviously a book written to the Gentiles to show that Jesus was the son of God. John had his own purpose showing Jesus was the savior of the world, but Mark was written to go to Rome. It was the gospel going to Rome, the stories of what Jesus had done. And the Gospel of Mark is the only other book in the New Testament that mentions this guy whose name was Rufus. So is the guy in Mark the same guy as the guy in Romans? We believe yes, they are the one and the same. So who is Rufus? Well, we know Rufus based on who his daddy was. Do you know who his daddy was? His daddy was called Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene was the day that was there on the day that Jesus was crucified. 
just happened to be there, just happened to be coming in from the area of Libya. He was coming for the Passover celebration. He was coming to Jerusalem, and as he, come, he was coming in, they were going out with Jesus carrying his cross, and Jesus stumbled, and, and they said, Here, Simon, you carry his cross. And Roman soldiers forced him to carry the cross of Jesus. Simon of Cyrene, Mark tells us he had two boys, Alexander and Rufus. Well, Simon of Cyrene goes home, apparently a changed man. And he goes home and he tells his wife and he tells his children. And their lives are also changed. And somewhere along the way, in ways we don't understand, Paul and Rufus and the mother of Simon of Cyrene had spent time together. You think Paul had any questions to ask about that moment? when Simon of Cyrene grabbed the cross of Jesus? You think Simon of Cyrene had any stories to tell? Do you think Rufus told any stories about what his daddy told him? Do you think Rufus's mother had anything to share with Paul about her husband's spiritual journey? And Paul said, I want to get together. I so long for a time to be together with you again so we can share each other's journey so you can talk about my faith and I can talk... you." You can talk about your faith and I can talk about mine. I can tell you what God has done in my life and you can tell me what God has been doing in your life. I long to be with you. My iron will sharpen your iron. Your flame will enrich my own. And we'll have a great revival when I get to Rome. Look, God works the same way in our church today. He brings people together through divine appointments. Some of you, I tell you before, some of you were born here and you grew up here. Some of you have been brought here in the providence of God and we interact with one another by divine appointment because God has a purpose for us. God has a purpose for this church. He doesn't just want us to stand in the shadow of believers who were here in the past who built a great building. He wants us to cast a shadow of our own. He wants us to develop a rich history that will carry on into the future. He wants the reputation of our church to be known in this community and in this county and across this state and across the world. That was God's desire for the church at Rome. And that's also God's desire for your church. Let's pray.